This time on Poll Hub, we're looking at extreme weather and climate change in the wake of those deadly tornadoes in Kentucky. Do Americans link the two? Do scientists? We're looking at the data. Then we're also looking at the future of work. For gig workers in particular, the last decade, gig work has been a buzzword, if not necessarily a title shift in the way we work. But what happens after the pandemic? A new report has some fascinating insights. We're going to dig into that. And we end 2021 with a resolution. Let's make Lee's fun fact fun again. What do you say? Let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. I'm Barbara Carvalho. And I'm Lee Marinkoff. Uh, the news uh, in, in the weather department in the last uh, week uh, has been just devastating. Those tornadoes, freak, strange tornadoes in December that... Um, uh, killed multiples of people in Kentucky. The number is is still not fixed because they're still looking for people as we record this uh, on December 16th. Um, but it did get us to thinking uh, about uh, these extreme weather events that we've been seeing all over the country, all over the world, especially over the last year. There's been so many. And climate change. Scientists, uh, for the most part, link the two, at least in some ways. But uh, we, I, we, I was struck in particular by a couple of quotes from people in some news articles from some of the climate scientists that they couldn't necessarily link what happened in Kentucky to climate change. They couldn't say these things happened because of climate change, although there are linkages to the severity of hurricanes and some other things that can be directly linked. So we looked back at some of our data and some other data that uh, has, is out there. And um, what did we find? What, what, is, what is it about this that uh, surprised either of you? Well, I think regardless of, you know, whether you think uh, the extreme weather events that we have seen um, around the country, and as you mentioned, around the world, uh, Jay, uh, whether you think it's related or caused by um, climate change, and certainly causation, as we know in statistics, is a much more difficult thing to prove than to just know that things may have a relationship between the two and they may be occurring because things are occurring at the same time. But regardless you know, of, of all of that, um, almost three in 10 Americans um, in our poll uh, in October with our partners NPR and the PBS NewsHour um, have been impacted by an extreme weather event um, in the last two years. And then although uh, eight in 10 Americans say they would never intentionally move to a place where they thought they would be impacted uh, by an extreme weather event. Uh, two-thirds of them, um, two-thirds of Americans also say that if they did live in such a place, even if they had an extreme weather event, their instinct would be to rebuild and restart their lives, reset their lives in that same community um, and not move away. So um, I, I think it's something that many of us have, have all experienced, um, but it doesn't necessarily uh, take away the feelings that we have about the places where we live uh, and the people in the communities that make up those places. Although those photographs uh, from Kentucky, I mean, in that area were hit the worst, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, it really doesn't resemble anything that those people would recognize. Uh, I was struck by, I mean, and I don't know a whole lot about uh, uh, extreme weather events and tornadoes, uh, 
but I, I was struck by the fact that they said this one stayed on the ground for like 200 miles or something, which, you know, it's just, you know, we, we, our image of a tornado is you see the twister, it comes down and then it moves on. Um, but this was just a swath that was cut that was just devastating uh, for the area. Um, but I think, unfortunately, we're going to see more stuff like this, I think, uh, you know, in the, in the coming years. I think there's a, a sense that the environment uh, and, and the weather situation has become much more tenuous. And uh, uh, I know he's not in, held in high regard right now, but former Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, used to have a good expression to, uh, to characterize this. He'd say, uh, you know, something like we have a once in a generation or once in a century event every two years. Uh, and, and so it seems like, you know, you turn around and, and then you get something which is, doesn't fit the normal pattern. Uh, and then you say, you know, are we really, is this now the new normal where we're getting all these kinds of things uh, and, and how devastating they are? And still there are extreme weather deniers, if we can use that phrase. Well, yeah, I mean, so scientists do uh, link uh, uh, to, to a large degree the uh, increase in extreme weather events and the severity of them in general to uh, climate change. At the same time we did our poll uh, in early October, our friends at Monmouth were doing a poll in the field with a poll that was released almost the same time, like a day apart. And they asked, uh, we asked questions about extreme weather and, and how people felt about whether they would rebuild, things like that. They asked one question that, that did stand out to, to me when we were looking through this. Do you think that the world's climate is undergoing a change that is causing more extreme weather patterns and the rise of sea levels, or is this not happening? So. Although they kind of shortened it to, do you believe in climate change or not? I think it's actually a slightly more specifically worded question. 76% of Americans believe that, and 18% of Americans do not believe that. But, as we have come to expect, there is a dramatic partisan divide. So 48% of Republicans believe it's happening, 43% don't. And then independents and, and, and Democrats are, you know, very strongly believe that indeed climate is undergoing a change that is leading to more extreme weather and to, to sea level change. So not a surprise in some ways, but it's, it's hard. I guess what I struggle with is it's hard for me to understand how what happened in New York over the summer with the, the giant rainfalls, what's happened all over the country. I mean, this, you can, we, can list, we could spend the whole show listing them out just this year, but then what happens in Kentucky, and, and not to understand what nearly every climate scientist in the world says, which is they're linked. It, that seems like a disconnect to me. Well, I think part of the issue here too is that um, not so much the disagreement. And I think the fact that 43% uh, of Republicans, you know, it certainly wasn't the plurality, but 40, it's, it's fairly divided even among Republicans that there is in fact some kind of, um, you know, extreme weather changes that- Yeah, 48% of Republicans. Yeah, 48% say that, that it is happening. Right, but the bigger, the bigger divide is um, really about, well, what is causing it and whether this is something that is uh, just evolutionary um, in terms of the cycles that the, that the planet goes through or whether um, human beings have had a significant impact upon that. And that's where uh, in the polling data, you definitely see a, a much greater divide uh, particularly among the the, um, the the 
the parties because of the fact it has policy implications. It has policy implications for the role of government and it has policy implications for the responsibility of businesses. And so um, there's less disagreement, I think, about the fact that you know we're, we're all kind of seeing something is happening. Um, and I, I think also that we seem to disagree just in terms of the language and and certain words you know get you know um, you know characterized as buzzwords and immediately people start you know heading to their partisan corners uh, global warming being one that then it moved to climate change but I think you know when you're when you're talking particularly like in coastal areas and and red states I'm thinking Florida in particular. Although there's there's a lot of disagreement about climate change, whether it exists or whether, you know, what should be done about it, there is much more consensus on the idea that we need to be resilient about extreme weather. Uh, and we need to come together as communities with extreme weather. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of consensus that can, can move us in, in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, but see... You know, not to not to be Debbie Downer on all this, but uh, I feel that you know we're into you know alternative facts a little bit. And whenever there's a proposal to do something, what I would call positive, uh, scientifically based, in a lot of these areas, uh, or just economically or ethically based, uh, you know, it, it raises all kinds of you know red flags about you know this is going to hurt business. Uh, so when we're talking about you know, wearing masks in restaurants, you know, this will hurt businesses. Well, hold on, Lee, hold on. We're, we're not going down that road. We're in extreme weather. Let, extreme me, go weather. Down, <laughs> right, let me go extreme weather then. Okay. So I'm old enough to remember, as the phrase is used so often, when Los Angeles was smog heaven out there, where you couldn't even see some of our major cities for all the, you know, air pollution. And you know what? We've gotten in front of those issues a little bit more. And, you know, all the businesses didn't close down because there are now some, you know, restrictions on fuel, for example, and how much can be put into the environment polluting. So, you know, there has progress on these things. It's just very, very painful and slow. And the people who are most upset about the climate issues and extreme weather are the ones who are saying the clock is ticking. And so the question is, how much time do we have uh, to uh, to get in front of this kind of issue. Well, for good for good or bad, I think the polling also does show that uh, as people do experience unusual weather patterns and extreme weather events, they are more likely to see climate change as a serious problem. As as uh, as uh, one poll has shown, uh, that people who live in coastal states are certainly. Uh, much more likely to want to be able to deal with climate change and see it as a serious problem than those who are inland. So perhaps uh, as uh, as we do experience these things, we will find uh, some consensus on how to deal with them. But on another on another topic, um, we are also in the midst still of a, a pandemic that has. Uh, that has impacted a lot of what we do, uh, not necessarily where we live, but certainly where we work. Um, and, um, you know, employment is not necessarily a one size fits all, uh, particularly in the last few years, 
uh, pre-pandemic, we were talking about something called gig work or contract work or side work. Um, and we were seeing a real growth um, in that area of Americans who uh, have tried to earn their livelihood uh, by just having these kinds of uh, short-term uh, or less traditional uh, work versions of, of contract work. There's a new study out uh, by the uh, Pew Research that actually looks at the gig economy post-pandemic uh, and uh, has some interesting findings. Uh, what did you guys find uh, most surprising uh, about the, this new study? Well, what really jumped out at me was the the numbers. We we have talked about the gig economy uh, on this podcast and internally uh, a lot about gig work, uh, and a lot of people have, as I think I mentioned at the top. It's this isn't new. I mean, gig work's been around for a while. But one of the things in the in the Pew study that surprised me because we have uh, we all know Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all, I mean we all know about and see all these people who are doing gig work. And I was surprised that in this Pew study, uh, which was just released in the last uh, in the last week or so, that only 16% of U.S. adults have said they're doing any gig platform work. Yeah, I mean, only 16%. If you if you extrapolate that out, that's you know tens of millions of people. So I get that. But I I think I just had was under the impression that more people were engaged in that than than I thought. One of the other things that stands out there though in terms of just the numbers is that it's 30% of people 18 to 29. That's a third of the workforce under the age of 30. And that well, the 16% maybe struck me as well. That doesn't seem like so much. 30% seems like a lot to me. So Yes, it, yeah, it, it really is. It, it uh, you know, and as you look at the, you know, who these people are, I mean, that's uh, Barb to your original question of, you know, what's what jumped out and and Jay to me, it was just the, you know, who is and who isn't. So it's more male, it's younger, it's whiter. Uh, you know, it it, it is, um, you know, definitely. It's not whiter. It's actually Hispanics or. It's the whites are the least likely to be doing gig work. Oh, yeah. sure. I'm sorry. I, 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 yeah. I backed. I backed in on that. Um, but the, um, you know, so so it is a interesting, you know, demographic phenomena that this is happening, and and I can only wonder what's going to be going on in the next six months, in the next year, to work uh, as we get back to whatever normal becomes. Uh, or whatever the normal is. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the the low number too in the pre-research poll, the 16% of Americans have tried an online gig platform uh, to earn some money. Uh, when we uh, did a poll back in 2018, you know, before work really uh, blew up and we had to, to figure out how and where and what we could do uh, to, to earn a living for, for many folks. We found that 20% of Americans define themselves as contract workers, um, which meant that they were hired to do a specific project for a fixed time or a fixed amount of money. Um, but I wonder also how much these polls, and I know we've struggled with the question wording when we've when we tried to talk about uh, gig work to people. I just wonder how difficult it is to actually measure exactly what gig work is because it, it means so much it means something different to, to so many uh, to so many different people. 
So for instance, many full-time workers, and we know full-time workers, people who work for pay is around you know, 60% of, of, of adults um, in this country. And 70% of those people uh, work for one employer. So, so that means that there's a pretty large proportion of people who are just kind of doing these side jobs. And they may not call it contract work, they may not call it gig work, but it's kind of extra money. Um, and so I wonder also, given the fact that work seems to be um, being redefined, you know, how much of the, uh, how many of us will actually be working only for one employer, um, you know, in the coming years, or is that not going to be a realistic expectation? Yeah, one of the things I wonder about in, 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 in that and in light of what's happened, the other big change in the workplace that's happened during the pandemic, which is uh, this remote hybrid kind of thing, does, is gig work more appealing to either workers or employers uh, now that uh, I think the, the, the new reality is that the office is not going to be full <laughs> for a long time to come, if ever. And I, I wonder if that makes it easier or more likely that people do some side hustles. Even if they've got a full-time job, they can do a side hustle, you know, 10 hours a week or eight hours a week that involves not having to show up someplace, not having to drive a lift, not having to do DoorDash or whatever and deliver groceries or restaurant stuff. I, and that's one thing that I'm kind of looking out for. That's what I, I wonder about the future of that. Yeah, and I should point out that I conflated a couple of statistics before uh, when I was going down the dem demography between the gig economy workers and the contract workers. Uh, and the gender on that was, uh, I was talking more at that point about contract, not the gig, when I talked about male and female, just want to correct myself uh, uh, along the way. But you mentioned, Barb, about, um, you know, what's the nature of work going to be? So I, here I've been, uh, you know, 46 years having only played, worked one place. So I'm going to become the dinosaur, I think, in all this. Oh, you're already a dinosaur, Lee. We're going no, no, no. We're going to get you a side gig, Lee. Um, we did have you driving an Uber, but we named it something different, which we won't talk about here. <laughs> uh, but maybe we can get you, I don't know, you, maybe you could go to your neighbors and offer to deliver meals. Well, there you go. There you go. But I, Isn't Meals on Wheels? Like at some point, you know, someday you retire and you do Meals on Wheels. That's a side hustle, Yes, right? yes, yes. And uh, Mary just pointed out the possibility of babysitting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you wonder why she suggested that? Does she have a new child? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a very... Um, very uh, self self advantaged. Um. Well, uh, in our in our survey research course uh, this semester, we had did have a group of students uh, who uh, one of the groups uh, had uh, decided to do uh, their poll on how uh, work has potentially changed um, after the pandemic. Uh, and that was uh, Jackie, Greta, and Amanda, and they wanted to focus on people. Who who have work, were working full-time um, in person um, before the pandemic and to really get a sense of what has happened. And what we do, what we did see from their research, uh, and this was a national survey, they, they, they uh, uh, researched and developed the questions to uh, talk to Americans about this. And uh, what they did find is that there has overall been a decline in in-person work um, and more importantly, what I think goes to your point, Jay, in the future of work, is that there's a real interest now in American workers 
to have more flexibility in their workplace. Uh, most people, the majority of workers, do want to have some kind of flexibility, either uh, from working at home remotely uh, or to at least have some kind of a, a hybrid of some at home, some in the office. But whatever the results of the pandemic, it was certainly uh, the fact that people have thought about work very differently. And they may even resolve to do that in the coming year, which is a segue into my fun fact. I, that's what I need, Jay. I need some kind of trumpets blaring in the front. Maybe we can produce some kind of little... Maybe Marcello can edit something in. Okay, it's fun fact time, ladies and gentlemen. 1939. Are you going to make a New Year's resolution? Gallup asked people. 17% said yes. 83% said no. However, by 2020, wow. Am I reading that wrong? No. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, you got it right. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, I'm reading that right. And in 2020, 2020, CBS will, will make a New Year's resolution. 43% won't. 53%, much more popular by 2020 uh, than it was way back when. I haven't a clue why. Uh, maybe somebody has that insight, but I want, I'm curious as to whether our team are New Year's resolution makers. Well, I started only when we started the podcast in the first year of the podcast, we did this because we asked that we, we've asked this question in the past in our polls. And so, yeah, you, Lee and I both made the same resolution that year, which was something about either exercising more or losing weight or something like that. I don't remember that clearly worked. Uh, I never really did before. I'm not a resolution maker, but um, you know, if I have to for the show, you know, I will give. Well, you know, I I don't I, I don't actually think of it as a resolution, which seems kind of weird. But I know that I do come to the end of the year thinking about how things may change and how uh, you know there are things that I might want to do differently in the coming year. So I guess that counts as resolutions. Maybe I don't like the word resolutions because I have to stay committed to it. Uh, and that's not necessarily something I'm good at, but it certainly for me is a time of reflection of the year past um, and thoughts about uh, things I might be able to accomplish or goals that I'd like to achieve in the coming year. So Lee, are you going to have a resolution this year? I, I, I am not. Uh, Jay, we, you know, I failed so many times. <laughs> uh you know, I, I'll go to a Well, you know, if you look at the cross tag, you know, uh, <laughs> older people aren't really good at this. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're less likely to make resolutions yeah, and far yeah. less likely to keep them. Yeah, and that's that's my category, the older people, right? That's what you said. Yeah, I'm thinking. Well, we divided at 45. Okay. So then. what would be your resolution then, Lee? If I had resolve, I would say I will resolve to attend the giant Super Bowl rally in New York and uh, and then the World Series for the Yankees. <laughs> I got nothing. I do I do like to point out that my father was born on December 31st um, and uh, and um, uh, he would have been 107. So uh, when I was growing up, uh, New Year's was always, New Year's Eve was a birthday party. So that was kind of a, a different thing. Well, happy birthday to your dad then. And that, we will resolve to think of your dad on New Year's Eve. How about that? There you go. There you go. That'll do it for Poll Hub this week. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. Poll Hub team includes Ashley Marcinic and Marcello Batman. If you enjoy Poll Hub, please consider leaving a review. 
Positive reviews help other like-minded listeners find us. If you'd like to learn more about polling and survey science, check out the Marist Poll Academy. It's our free online learning portal. If you've got questions, tweet them to us at Marist Poll. Finally, however, wherever you listen to Poll Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcasting app as soon as it's released. We'll see you next time.